Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yeah. And Jenna Ipkar. Yeah. All right. We are doing a, another little round robin kind of uh, thing where we recommend a person in this room, a film. They have to see it. They haven't seen it before. You've heard the other episode. Now we're going to be doing uh, the other person than the one we did previously. So I recommended uh, Jenna one. Now I'm recommending John one. John recommended me one. Now he's recommending Jenna. Jenna recommended John one. Now she's recommending me one. Got it? You got it, guys? It's pretty simple. Yeah. All right. So the one that I'm giving John is Three Iron, one of my favorite films. Kim Ki-duk, same uh, director as uh, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, Spring. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah, I love that movie. I think you'll really, really dig this one. This one's my, by a hair, second favorite. There's a good-looking lady on the poster. Very good-looking woman. Good-looking man, too. Yeah, I'm, yeah, there's a good-looking man. There's also a not-so-good-looking man on the cover. That is true. There is. So there's two good-lookers and one uggo. Yeah. It has a title that... Is that why it's three iron? Because it's... I you guess. know, there's the three of them and one's an uggo. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, the, the title is kind of arbitrary because it, it's an American title that wasn't a translation of the actual title. What's the actual title? Empty Houses. Ooh, that's a way better title. Way better title and way more accurate to the film. I would go with Two Good Lookers and an Uggo, but Empty Houses, <laughs> is a, that's a lovely title. Yeah. So, that's spooky. Yeah. Very, very specific to the plot, too. So... Three Iron, that's my pick. I really think you'll get a kick out of it. It's, you know, we we love economical filmmaking. We yeah. love, you know, don't waste time. Don't waste time with dialogue, with anything. Just tell us a good story. Great story, expertly, concisely told. I think it's like 85 minutes, maybe. That's I think a, you'll, that's you'll really dig it. Right there. <laughs> yeah, you, you will dig that one. So that's my recommendation. And we will, of course, time travel. You know, you won't have to listen to some other episode to hear our thoughts. We'll just take a... Quick break in a few and then... To the far-flung future? Yeah, we'll uh, time travel. But uh, civilization hasn't we'll, fallen. We'll all put glasses on and John will take his off. That's how you know time's <laughs> changed. <laughs> so, uh, John, what's your recommendation for Jenna? Well, last time Jenna got a movie where uh, there's a wonderful actress in it who didn't really get a lot to do. Christina and, Ricci? Yeah, Buffalo I feel bad 66. about that. So I want to give her a movie where there's a wonderful actress in it who usually doesn't get a lot to do, who gets to do the most probably of her whole career. Nice. And this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Very hard to find now. So I'm going to have to give her a copy because there's no official DVD release because Warner Archive has been supposed to release this one for like three years now and they haven't. So if you see it and like it, you have to, you have to yell at them with me until they do. So by copy, he means he's giving me a VHS. Yeah. Uh, legal is, copy, yeah, legal. You know, this only, is, we, we only traffic in legal copies here. The <laughs> Smug Film Enterprises. Frank Perry's classic coming of age story. Last summer is what I'm giving her, which is about some teenagers in a beach town in the summer, 1969. I'm down with all that. You like the 60s? I like the 60s. I like rich teenagers hanging out in the summer. You like summertime, right? Like summertime. <laughs> Yeah, I, like, I think I like you'll really like this leads, one. It's um, and I trust John's taste. It's very, it's it's dark. It's Perfect. a very dark movie. Frank Perry was he did the swimmer with Burt Lancaster and oh, um, right. yeah. play it as it lays. And he he and David and Lisa with Kier Delay. He had a he had a good run of very dark character based dramas that are almost like John Cheevery. 
This the, has a little bit of a John Cheever vibe to it, though it's based on an Evan Hunter book. The nice. swimmer, uh, mutual friend of me and Jenna's, Richard Carpala. That's his favorite film, I think, right? Oh, a little shout out to yeah. Richard. Well, Richard Carpala. He should scope out last summer then. He should, maybe you've like seen it. it. Maybe he's, Richard, if you've seen it, call in. We'll play it on this time travel episode because that'll give you enough time because uh, time travel. Yeah, so, hit us up, homie. Yeah, tell us if you've seen uh, last summer. Call in, boy. I'm shouting you out. Yeah, this is good because I've never heard of it and uh, it sounds intriguing. So I'm super down. Right yeah, on. it has. It's one of those ones that like not a lot of people really have seen it because it hasn't been available. But most of the people who've seen it are like they're on board with it. I've been talking to a guy who's trying to write a uh, biography about Frank Perry. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, when that's underway, there'll be a little more light on this because it's it's a movie that's, I think, just waiting to be rediscovered. It's on like every three years, TCM will haul it out of the vault. So mm. I know it's it's around. So I guess the time travel will be me waiting for TCM to just play it on TV. Huh. That's at right. At like four in the morning. All right. Well, my choice for um, uh, Cody. This, so last time I chose something that I thought that John would like, even though it's not like my favorite movie, but like, you know, I, I just figured out, oh, let's do stuff for taste. And then you guys all chose shit that you liked yourselves. And then I <laughs> figured, well, I'm going to kind of go through the middle here. I'm going to give you a recommendation for a movie that I like a lot, uh, but I do think that you'll really like it. All right. And that movie is Della Morte Della More, a.k.a. Cemetery Man. Ah, yeah, that's one I've always meant to see. It's a movie we've definitely mentioned on Smug Film yeah. multiple times, and it's great. It's like, it's a live-action comic book movie, and it's, I think... Written by the Dylan Dog guys. I remember I, we all went to a comic store once and I bought all these Dylan Dog comments, uh, comics and they were like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and one of my like Serbian co-workers told me I wish you people it. could have seen Jenna's face when she just did that. Because that was a masterpiece of acting. That Her yeah. face on that, what is that? That was a spot on us asking. <laughs> just this like slight concern, slight <laughs> disdain in her eyes. That yeah. was impeccable. Nailed it. Yes. Well, we should do a video podcast, but Dylan Dog, really great. It's this sort of like X-Files-esque kind of comic. Um, and it's like, you know, the Cemetery Man is really based. It's He's Dylan Dog. It's the same thing. And there actually was a recent American remake of Dylan Dog that I actually haven't seen, but I've heard bad things. And it's not, they, there's a bunch of, like Groucho Marx is one of the main characters of Dylan Dog, which they clearly couldn't put in a movie. And they didn't do it in Cemetery Man either. But hmm. anyhow, Cemetery Man is great because it has amazing visual effects where you can see the strings and you are happy about it because it mm -hmm. looks so mm -hmm. good. I like that. The, the colors are amazing. Like the, just the style is amazing and there's a whole bunch of nudity. You're going to love it. Okay. Yeah. That's a, I feel <laughs> like. Did I get a whole bunch of nudity? No. I did last time at least. <laughs> Sorry, man. Maybe next time. But uh, yeah, that's, I feel like friends of mine really adore that. I feel like it's one of those ones that I just should have seen at some point. I don't know. It's it a, seems it's right a up hole. your alley. It, it does. The plot, I mean, that movie, I won't talk too much about it, but like, it, it's a weird movie, but it it's so, you can't leave it and not like it. All right. I just not, unless you hate fun. All right. All right. All right. Well, challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we are back, we will have time traveled and seen these movies. See you soon. Unless we died. Unless we died. <laughs> if If it's just silence when we come back. <laughs> Something went wrong. Build your if you own. The, if you hear the wind through the desert, yeah, maybe <laughs> civilization. Please went to build hell. a time machine and save us. We're trapped somewhere in the history of the uh, of civilization. God, we got to be truthful here. All That's right. what would have happened. All right, see you soon. 
Hello, SmugFilm fans. Did you know that SmugFilm now has a voice mailbox? Just call the following phone number. 718395-9711 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And we are back, uh, but something bad happened. Uh, John D'Amico, when we time-traveled, ended up in another dimension. Now we have to Skype him in. Yeah, it's not great. I'm, uh, I'm lost in time and space. Yeah, it's not ideal. Uh, what, what do you see? What are you looking out at? Well, I'm looking at a paperback copy of The King Must Die by Mary Renault, which mm-hmm. I've been re- meaning to read for a few months, but haven't yet. Brutal. The hero of this vivid and exciting novel is Theseus, a prince of ancient Athens. What and, can you um, tell us about this universe you've ended up in? There's crickets. I have a Powerade Zero in grape flavor. Powerade? Yeah. Not even Gatorade? No, they don't make the, um, or at least I can't find the sugar-free Gatorades. So I have a sugar-free Powerade. This episode brought to you by Powerade. <laughs> Your uh, choice for movie watching refreshment. There's the hood ornament from an old car uh, on a mounted on a piece of wood next to me. It's a, it's a greyhound. How big are the crickets, by the way? Because that would be a good indicator as to you know what kind of universe this is. Yeah, they're they're normal sized. I was thinking this might be a damnation alley type thing where I get attacked by giant bugs, but right, you know, so far so good. Mm. And everything's in black and white, right? Uh, no. Any no. any idea what time you're in? Yeah, it's 6.39 on a Thursday. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's 6.39 here, but you're not here. So it must just be an alternate dimension. I'm somewhere on a Thursday, is what I can tell you. Okay. That's a great title for something, Somewhere on a Thursday. That's like your <laughs> yeah. noir coming up next. Yeah, that would be real good. <laughs> that kind of sounds like it would be like a 60s folk album or title or something. <laughs> yeah, like Donovan. <laughs> Paul Simon. <Yeah>. Some. <laughs> All right, so... We watched the movies. We've seen them now by the uh, miracle of podcast editing. And uh, I guess I will go first. I watched uh, Della Morte Della More, a.k.a. Cemetery Man. And right off the bat, I'll say, was not feeling this one. I'm shocked. Did not like it. Why? All right. Well, first Is of all... Is it because of the plot? <laughs> the... Um, the opening like logo thing for like the production company, one of the best I've ever seen. I'll post a picture of it. It's dark and jello risoli, whatever. I don't know what it said, but it looked incredible. <laughs> I'll post a picture of that. That was beautiful. But then the actual movie, I just wasn't really feeling it. By the way, the title the title translates to Death of Love, Love of the Dead. Because it's like one of those like it's switchy like, titles. It's of of the of death or of love. Yeah, it's yeah. like depending on how you read it, it means whatever. And uh, I I thought it was Della Morte Della Morte, but it's Della Morte Della More. Yeah, like I didn't catch that's that twist. Yeah, that's a it's a pretty big twist for me. You got twisted on. Yeah, and uh, English title of course Cemetery Man, which interestingly enough, the other film that we will mention soon. Three Iron, of course, a weird English title that's not an exact translation of the uh, foreign title. It's weird that it's called Cemetery Man. It's kind of like Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, I rewatched this one in anticipation of this, which I haven't seen since I, I loved it in high school. I was like all about it when I was 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Kind of bored me. 
Yeah, that's that's what I was going to bring up, actually. This feels like one of those movies that maybe if I saw it when I was like 14, I would have dug it like a lot. But like I missed the window on it. It's kind of like Dead Alive. That was my experience with Dead Alive, where I think I saw it like one year or two past like the window where I would just be obsessed with it. Yeah, horror definitely works in windows like that. This one, I I was surprised at um, how hard it was it was to get through as an adult. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to get through. And uh, the director, of course, um, Michel Suave. I don't know how to say his name. Michel Gondry. It's yeah. pronounced. <laughs> um, I love his film Stage Fright. That's one of my favorite foreign horror movies ever. That, that's a really, really strong one. I, Have you I, seen The Church? Yeah, I don't like The Church. A lot of people I trust adore that movie, and I could I not get into it. I don't think I like it, but that movie is buck wild. It's a little weird, yeah. And uh, the weirdness of Stage Fright, that's more my kind of weirdness. Like, I, I adore that yeah. one a lot. Um, did not like this one too much. I could see right off from the bat, like, big influence on, like, Zombieland. Like, just his his sort of, like, apathetic dealing with, like, the zombies and, like, he sort of starts talking about the rules right off the bat. I could definitely see how uh, Zombieland may have grabbed that from this. The thing that was like that made it really hard to get into right off the bat was that the opening sequence in particular, it's like it's very annoyingly dark in some spots, like the blacks are crushed like very, very hard. So it's like hard to see anything. It's just kind of like blackness and then like a slight shadowiness of like faces and objects. Are you it's, sure that wasn't just your copy? I never it heard that. Could, Jenna, it does it look been. like that for you? I don't remember that. I don't remember. I see. I made the mistake of not rewatching it, but I do have a response to you. But Unforgiven well, was started, Unforgiven was so dark, though. Not and not. I mean, like just the lighting. Not yeah. in this. Not in this way. I think it was. It was a Blu-ray rip that I got it from. So I guess the Blu-ray looks like this. I didn't look it up to see if the Blu-ray transfer is well regarded or not. Sometimes these things get transfers that are just completely like light years away from what the DP intended. That's kind of the vibe that I got from this because it was, yeah, you might've gotten, you might've gotten a bum rip because the yeah. night photography I thought was really good. Yeah. It might've just been the, uh, the, uh, the rip, I guess you got to turn your brightness up. I yeah. tried, <laughs> I tried, it was crushed. The blacks were crushed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. I think you got a bum copy. Yeah. But, uh, Anna Falci fucking gorgeous, like so captivating, beautiful woman immediately takes your uh, breath away like it takes the breath away of the main character i didn't like rupert everett's vibe much he was what he was just kind of there he was very unengaging oh he's perfect really i have to say of that so here's the thing i have to say about this movie that movie has absolutely it's completely incoherent oh yeah there's like no there's no plot like there's blatant sexism like the special effects you can see all the wires but that's the thing is that I really liked Rupert Everett in it because he just he's just is cool. He's just effortlessly cool. He doesn't have to do anything. He just has to stand there and be fucking cool. And then See, I felt like he was doing a lot to not do anything. Oh, well, but that's what it like there's that campy sort of like the, the whole movie's kind of campy. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, yeah. You know, so it's like but he he really just nailed it. But then also just it was beautiful. I thought that movie just like was so goddamn like these special effects are so unique and interesting. And like even though you can see the wires, you love it. You're like, this is yeah, like it like it adds so much to the movie that is essentially has nothing. <laughs> I never I got the uh, the angel of death. I thought that was just gorgeous. That was great. That was great. There were little pieces. There were little shots where things looked extraordinarily good. 
but they were way too far, few and far between for me. I never got a, a sense that he had much of a handle on his character or knew what he was supposed to be doing. It just seemed like kind of like a, oh, okay, I'll be like this, I guess, kind of performance for me. I didn't like that. And also the dubbing and the sound design, it made the film feel very sterile. Like it was that kind of thing where, you know, every line of dialogue is dubbed as you do when you have an Italian horror film or whatever. And it was just, it was very hard to get engaged because it's just, it's just dubbing and then like crappy synth. And there's not much sound of anything else. There's not much like room tone. There's not much of anything else. It's just like this very sterile, like almost audiobook kind of environment that really can get in the way for me when it comes to a movie, unless the story is really engaging. And of course, in this case, the story is like all over the place. It almost feels like a TV series condensed into one thing. Like there are so many little B plots and stuff that it's like all these episodes like jammed together. I feel like the the sound thing, which I don't, I, I will admit I don't remember, except that that sort of handmade aspect is what I, really appealed to me about this movie. It felt like a clay animation with live action people in a way, you know. It's I just, think it would have been better as a claymation. Actually, that would have been awesome. <laughs> like something the way about basically every movie ever made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I didn't like Corpse Bride that much, but I think something like Corpse Bride, like that kind of look and vibe, would have really lended itself to it. That would basically be Paranorman, but with a grown-up. Yeah, and titties. Paranorman is... Paranorman with titties. That's my one-line, like, uh, pitch to a studio. (laughs) Paranorman is... I I was so surprised at how much I love that one. I've heard that's super good, and I missed it. Yeah, I heard great things about that one. You know, I don't go for kids' movies, really. Yeah. Man, that's a wonderful little movie. Did you like Coraline? I think you both would like it. Did you like Coraline? I didn't see Coraline. Yeah, that was the same dudes. Yeah, I've been meaning to because I really liked it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. It's got some really good stuff in it. I I wouldn't say that I that I liked it per se, but I liked things in it. I think you might get a kick out of it. I hear the 3D in that was just incredible in theaters. Yeah, I I unfortunately didn't see it in theaters. I just saw a 2D Blu-ray of it, but um, it, you get the sense that the 3D was was very good. There was this one shot in um, Della Morte Della More which I really dug, which is one of those shots where like you think you've seen it a hundred billion times, but you probably actually haven't. It just feels like a cliche. There's a shot that's like a POV from like inside a grave and it's a slow motion like shot of dirt falling into the grave like at the camera. And it's just so effectively done. And it's so like jarringly like, oh, wow, that was like a really good shot. And uh, it just seems like a cliche when you talk about it, like, oh, a shot from a grave and then dirt falling, but it was uh, it was like the perfect way of doing it. And want me to shot contacts that one for you right now? Yeah, please. Track of the Cat does that. Yeah, very well. Beautiful. Track of the Cat is probably one of the most beautiful films ever made. Does I think it? It's fifty four. It has um, pretty much the same shot. The whole thing with that movie was he wanted to do a black and white movie in color, so it's set in the snow, and everybody's dressed in and looks gray all the time except robert mitchum is wearing a red jacket Hmm. wonderful movie beautiful looking movie say the say the title again trap of the cat track of the cat track of the cat got it how come mitchum's in all these great movies because you know he's he knew how to pick them yeah he really did good old mitch another thing that i what else do you hate about this movie (laughs) yeah no i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about things i like though you know, I could say, like, I didn't like the fat helper dude. Like, oh, yeah, no. Certain, no one does. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, you know, whatever. Bad, it's like not even worth talking about. The comedy doesn't work in that movie. No, 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 it's so bad. I liked him at the end, though. 
He, he won you over? Yeah, when they're on the mountain at the end, I thought he was really good. I thought the stuff with her was really the strongest stuff, like that stuff in like the first act, I guess. Like I wanted that to be the trajectory of the movie and then it sort of meandered into, like I said, the little B plots. Um, but there's a great shot when uh, he goes into the crypt and she's like covered with like a sheet and she like yeah. rises up. It's like such a gorgeous shot. And I get the sense that like, you know, maybe they just didn't have the budget they needed because some shots are like fucking god awful. And then there are these certain set pieces that are like really extraordinary, just very lightly peppered throughout the film. I really think she was she was tremendously captivating and, and not just because she was nude. Like there's just something about her like you can't not look at her and just her vibe in the film, I think, works better for the film than any other character. I actually wonder if this movie was like it was the type of thing where they're like, we're going to do a serious, you know, movie. And then there was some producer that's like, nah, it's a comic. Throw some slapstick in there. It's a comic, you mm-hmm. know, like because there's just this two vibes that are like so like at odds with each other in that film. And of course, it just at, by the end of it, it, the whole thing just unravels. They're like, we don't even know where to go anymore. Right. Like, oh, we- no, you get that a lot in independent horror, though. I mean, think of Last House on the Left. Yeah. Which goes from being like a Mike Haneke film to like a Keystone Cop movie. <laughs> Why There's is always- that though? Why do you think? You think it's just because they feel like, well, it's it's horror. We gotta we gotta throw some jokes in there. I think there's two reasons. First of all, because when it works, it works really well. Like Evil comedy Dead. and horror together. When it works, it's like chocolate and peanut butter. But I also think, I mean, they're they're so close to each other, probably when you're conceptualizing something and writing a script. I wonder if you have these scenes that start out one way and then like halfway through you realize they're really funny. Yeah, and it's also like covering your bases. It's like, all right, well, maybe this won't scare them, but maybe this other part will make them laugh. Like, and maybe they'll, yeah. at, by the end of the film, they'll be like, all right, well, that was a good film. See, but is Cemetery Man really that scary? Like, I know it's meant to, it has, he's in a cemetery. Like, I understand that that's like a cliche horror kind of thing, but I feel like it's it, it feels more sort of dramatic than it does horror even. And then, but then there's this like slapstick comedy then, and even the slapstick stuff, I think is actually more horror than the the drama is. Yeah. I don't think it's ever meant to be that scary per se. I think it's more like a, uh, you know, just it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be like engaging and like you smile throughout it, but I just, I didn't hook into it, you know? And I think I would, I think I would have if I was like 13 or 14. Definitely. I think had I seen this, cause I only saw this movie a couple years ago myself but I, I just loved how I just thought it was beautifully shot. Like it just looked so unique and, and just visually interesting to me. I'll have to track down a better version of it because the more you talk about how beautifully shot it was, it you makes me want to see uh, like those fire pixie things. I did like those, but they were the kind of strings. <laughs> they were kind of underused. I thought they were underused, but I loved like stuff like that. I Everything I liked in the film was underused. I would say every every good thing that, about it. I wouldn't say I liked the film. But everything I did like in it, if it had been there more, I definitely would have liked it, I think. I definitely want a better movie. Like, my memory of that movie is definitely better than the movie is. Yeah. That's how I feel about Army of Darkness. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. It slogs towards, like, the two-thirds mark. Army of Darkness is, like, for me, like, the epitome of that style of, like, teenage horror comedy that you really connect with. And then when, for whatever reason, you hit that point where you don't connect with anymore, it's, like, in a foreign language. Like you can't understand yeah. what, what the appeal was at all. See, I think you get older and then you realize Evil Dead 2 is the one that's amazing. That's I'd go with the first one, to be honest. Really? Evil Dead I 2, that, that's my perfect one. I think 13 to 15 
three was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And like 15 to 18, two was my favorite. And now it's one. So I'm, I'm essentially an 18-year-old John D'Amico. You know? <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe like in another few years, the one that'll be my favorite is like the eight-minute short they did before they <laughs> even made the first one. Right. And I'll and, just keep going back in time with it. And then just your favorites, just home movies of Sam Raimi as a baby. Yeah. And then your favorite <laughs> is like a sonogram of him. And then it's just, you're just staring at his dad's balls for 90 minutes. Yeah. All right. So Jenna, what did, what did you watch? I watched last summer. What did you watch last summer? <laughs> you're not going to go with me on that? I got <laughs> uh, I got what, Whatever happened to yes and. Oh, <laughs> Well, you do improv, you know. Yes, and I forgot. Mm. <laughs> you guys hearing these birds over here on my ends? They're going buck wild. I was going to ask you if you just had a bunch of birds over there. We're getting a piece of them. You must be hanging out with that dude that called in that uh yeah, that had a bunch one of birds. Time. Bunch of, be, yeah. What was his name? Bunch of birds Bill or something? Can it please be bunch of birds Bill? Yeah, what's James? You're right. Hi yeah. James. Hi James. He never called back. We wanted to know more about the birds. We're oh, thinking he will. about you, James. He's here in the Phantom Zone with me. Ah, uh-huh. plot twist! Call back to James out of nowhere with his appearance <laughs> in the multiverse alternate world. All right, so Jenna, what did you watch? <laughs> I watched last summer, directed by. What did you watch last summer? Frank Perry. Uh huh. I watched last summer. Last summer, I watched last summer, 1969, directed by Frank Perry. Recommended by John Phineas D'Amico and endorsed by Frank Santa Padre, right? Endorsed by Frank Santopadre yeah. on our... Right, Phineas Santopadre. <laughs> yeah, go back a couple episodes and uh, check out the old Santopod. So here's the thing. Since we've time traveled, my memory is a little fucked up because we just did some time traveling, right? <laughs> I do remember John being like, last time you watched a movie that had like a kind of flat female character. So this time I'm going to give you a movie that has like multi-layered... A busty one. ...female character. <laughs> 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 oh, like a multi-layered female characters... And, and he's like, yeah, it's a great movie. And I didn't I, say characters. I said character. Character, period. But so I kind of took that. I was like, great. And, I, and then I was like thinking, oh, it's going to be like strong female lead. Man, okay, this movie is brutal as fuck. Yup. <laughs> like one of the most depressing, brutal movies. And I have to say, and I, I almost don't, I don't want to spoil it for on this, but I will allude to it. So if the, like if that was enough for you to watch this movie, like maybe fast forward and then come back after you watched it. But um, when I was watching it, I got a phone call. I had five minutes left to the movie and I got this phone call. So I was like, all right, I like paused it. I'm like talking, whatever. I'm like, ah, five minutes. All right. Like, you know, let me get off the phone. And I'm thinking like, uh, you know, I, I know where the movie's going. You know, like it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I like I hang up, I press play. And then like my whole life was fucking shattered. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So this that movie is, is unrelenting, you know? Holy shit. I mean, and, and that's something where it's like, it's so well shot it, and it's, it takes it so seriously Yeah, that, you know, there's just absolutely like, I, you know, it's one of the few, the few brutal endings that like, I was like, you know what, this, this did it. There's, there's nothing creepy. There's nothing leering. There's nothing like, you know, secretly like violence is fun. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like it is intense, and then it had that great like being for sixty nine. It has that great like seventies ending where just like people just stare off into the distance. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just that complete silence, walking away. Yeah, I'm hooked. I want to see this one. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you liked it. I'm really glad. I did. I you know that the the ending definitely like I mean watching the movie I enjoyed the movie. It was interesting. It's a, definitely you know so it's basically um it's primarily three teenagers, one female, two male, and the the girls are very attractive and the two boys It's Barbara Hershey. And and the two boys are trying, you know, they they're both like kind of vying for her attention and she's more than happy to give it to them. And it sort of starts off with this uh you know that seagull like they capture a yeah. seagull that they they like help and then, um, you know, they're sort of bonding over it. And then there, you know, so it's this sort of like teen coming of age. kind. It, st- it starts off as a teen beach coming of age kind of movie. And then it just like it, it just spirals from there <laughs> into this just sort of really complex and, and just horrifying, like brutal film about a coming of age and about teenagers and about, you know, even, you know, more so, I think, about also the 60s. And I think about, you know, the, the end of the 60s. Like this movie to me felt more like like a much more brutal version of Easy Rider almost than it did yeah. of like Itumama Tambien. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it mm. had like similar aspects of both of them. So if you liked either, you think maybe you'd, somebody who liked either would dig this one? I think so. And I, you know, Itumama Tambien is also brutal in a way, but it was it it was didn't go as far as this movie did. And then Easy Rider, like you know, the ending of that movie I think is intense, but this movie was more intense. Wow. But I think the same, like Easy Rider to me felt more like it was, you know, the last line being we blew it, right? That's kind of yeah. what this movie felt like. It was like, you know, all these, you know, here's this, the, you know, this girl and these two boys that are sitting there trying to embrace like, you know, free love, peace, whatever. And yet, like, you know, she's killing animals and like, you know, yeah. all these boys are just have this like and ulterior motive to use her and, and fuck her and like. And what's, so, what's the name of the guy she goes on the date with? Because that's always just so heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. And then they trick this poor dude. Uh, and t- they do like a computer dating thing. Uh, yeah. What was his name? Computer it, dating in 69. That's right when it started. Wow. There's a Mary Tyler Moore episode about that, too. Ah. And and they trick this poor guy. And then they also they leave him for dead. You know, no, he, I don't think he dies, but like, they just really like they fuck yeah. him over. And then, you know, the, the end of this movie uh, without giving away too much is that there's another girl on the beach who's like the super dowdy, you know, very like, you know, uptight kind of teenager, the opposite of, of what the other, the, the main girl is. I'm, I'm so bad with names. Let me just IMDB it. Rhoda, Catherine Burns. That's right. Rhoda. Rhoda's the dowdy one. And, you know, so Rhoda, you find out her mother died. She has this really depressing life. And yet here are these three teens kind of like, what's your fucking problem, Rhoda? Come on, Rhoda. You should be cool, Rhoda. You know, like just completely like tormenting her. Yeah, Rhoda. <laughs> <laughs> How great was that monologue, by the way? Oh, yeah. About her I mean, mother? That, yeah. That leaves me speechless every time. I mean, yeah. I mean, th- this whole movie, it's about, it's like the the loss of innocence in, in so many ways. So who was the the girl? Are you, you're alluding to Rhoda being the, the one female character with depth? Yeah. Not that the other one didn't, but I specifically thought you should see that movie because aside from everything else, which everything else is great too, I just thought that monologue in the middle is one of the best performances I've ever seen in anything. And one of the most interesting sketches I think I've seen of like an adolescent woman in film. She was so relatable. I think, you know, you didn't have to have been that, that girl to know, to have known that girl. Yeah, no, I related to her and I'm a dude. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was definitely a dude, <laughs> a dude, Jenna, he's a dude. Spoiler. Yeah, oh. Spoiler. <laughs> What, what you know she's also the type of girl that you you don't ever you don't see in movies yeah and she's so relatable she's true. so realistic 
and and so easy and and you know like to to understand what's what's that actress Catherine burns yeah you said that she was amazing i now i kind of want to look up more things that she was in because she was just so goddamn good in that she should have gotten the oscar for it and her voice is amazing yeah she just has a great voice She's got like a little bit of that like Shelly Winters voice. Yeah. I'm looking up uh, Roger Ebert's review of it right now. He gave it four out of four. Um, the opening paragraph is pretty good. It says, uh, from time to time, you find yourself wondering if there will ever be a movie that understands life the way you've experienced it. There are good movies about other people's lives, but rarely a movie that recalls, if only for a scene or two, the sense and flavor of life the way you remember it. So apparently he, he related to this one a lot. Oh, it's super relatable because I'm like you relate to it. You relate to the girl that gets picked on and then you can even relate to the, the people doing the, you know, the, the teasing, you know, like there, there's it's just it's it is being a teenager, that movie. Yeah. Like in the most realistic. All four of them and everybody's personality. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, about pure pressure, about just like anger issues that like teen angst, like actual depression, you know, it covers everything and, and everyone is, yeah, everyone's relatable and everyone's realistic in a really brutal way. I mean, like all these teen movies and why I think personally, I've, I've never liked, you know, like American Pie or like uh, these like college movies or like even most teenage movies. You know, I, I'm not a John Hughes fan, I think in part because I didn't really see them when I was a kid, but a lot of these movies I don't ever find relatable. And I think it's in part just because they're a little too like happy-go-lucky, like the best days of our lives kind of movies. Whereas, what about like, Stand By Me? Stand By Me was good. But are they teens? I feel like they're younger. Maybe they are teens. No, yeah, you're right. They're younger. But Stand By Me, I always think of in conjunction with Last Summer because they're the two that are... Yeah, definitely. interesting to see kid teen movies that are about death in this weird background way. And they both are. And it's I think it really gives them both a lot of weight. It just also, I mean, yeah, and they both, you know, this movie shows how fucking hard it is to be a teenager, which yeah. I think is so rarely seen and, and such an obvious and like, you know, complex part of life that there's so much to, to mine. Mm. <laughs> you I like know? that you never meet their parents. Yeah. You know, except for that one creep who is uh, molesting the, the main girl. Yeah. Which is the other thing I really liked. I loved all the casual um dropping of like really horrific stuff Mm. yeah that's such a that's also such a teenage thing where you're like hey let's play truth or dare what's your truth well my my stepdad touches me (laughs) what's your truth you know and everyone's like oh yeah well that's funny (laughs) like because you're a kid you don't know yeah. You know, it's like, it's like that movie too. It's like that you have that realization of all the horror <laughs> of your life that you don't realize as a kid until you get don't older. Don't you want to like project 10 years later and just try to figure out where they all landed? Oh God. Uh, well, hopefully the main chick lands in jail. <laughs> yeah. But you know, she doesn't. Mm, she could have. The main guy probably ends up with like a drinking problem. Oh yeah. Because you know, he's not getting over any of that. So this one, it's like hard to find, right? The story with Last Summer is very frustrating. Frank Perry in general, I've said this now on a number of episodes, including the Frank one, is uh, I think one of the greatest filmmakers who ever lived. And um, a lot of his stuff has been unavailable for a very long time. And it's only been in the past two or three years that he's been starting to get any notice um, in the film community. So like a few years ago, The Swimmer with Burt Reynolds came out on DVD. Right. And everyone's like, well, holy shit, this is great. So people were starting to look at what else he did. So like one by one, they're starting to come out. And Last Summer, which I think is his best movie, and I mean, might be my favorite drama of the 60s, period. 
Warner Archive has been talking for years about releasing it. It's got to be two or three years at this point. But I think they have. there's some problem with their print or there's something's going on because it keeps getting delayed. And I don't really understand it because it's one of the treasures of American cinema, this movie, I think. It turns up on TCM like very, very rarely, like once a, once a year or once every two years. I remember it was a big deal in 20, 2011. It was on TCM one night. So I called everybody I knew in the neighborhood and made everybody come over and watch Last Summer. Mm. Um, I threw like a Last Summer party. Was it? That's so depressing. Yeah, I was about to say, were they like, uh, thanks. Everybody loved it. I mean, that was okay. Everybody loved it, but it was really like one of those like, fuck me. Yeah, how do you walk away from that kind of thing? Yeah, but um, I'm optimistic that we'll see a release soon because like I said, he's he's been, he's starting to pick up. People are starting to talk about him again. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, there might be other methods on the internet of uh, it is seeing very this one. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, once it comes out, once it comes out officially, I'm going to spend money to buy it for real, and I, I'm sure everybody else will too. Oh, I'm sure. So don't feel bad. It just if your only way to see it now is shady, just yeah. do. Piracy is kind of like time travel in that sense. <laughs> it's like you're time traveling to a time when you can actually see the movie. Yeah. That's, that was beautiful. That's my profound statement of the day. You know what? Wait, one more thing I want to say about this movie is that I really appreciate movies that do like really subtle foreshadowing. Mm. Like the, you know, the, basically the the way that she so treated... So like shadowing <laughs> The way that she treated that bird and yeah. Rhoda are, are exactly, it's exactly the same storyline. And the, I mean, and the way she treated the two guys too. Oh, yeah. She basically had them on a leash the whole time. Oh, it's complete power issues. I love that, too. Yeah, the, the fact that you can sit there and, like, like sort of psychologically break down, like, what the yeah. motivations were for each character. And there's not... There's definitely a lot of homoerotic stuff floating around there, too. Oh, yeah. With them, like that movie theater scene. Right, when you she know, puts their hands about? together. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Love it. Well, the guy who wrote it wrote, um, who wrote the novel, Evan Hunter... Also wrote Blackboard Jungle, which is, um, they say it was the first teen drama, the first successful teen drama ever. And it's still really good. Blackboard Jungle, I think, is very much worth a watch. That's the one from the 50s about the like inner city school. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, you might like it. Different vibe because it's a different era, but um, also very good. Also, I think pretty in touch with how people think. All right. So, John, you watched Three Iron. I did, and um, kind of hate to blow up the party, but didn't love it. Oh, I love it! It um, I adore that film. This is two not two like thumbs downs yeah. and one thumb up in the middle. I like it. Well, Come what's on. funny is my problem with it is sort of at least one of my problems with it is sort of pretty similar to your problem with Cemetery Men, which is that I thought the lead guy was terrible. Hmm. I thought first of all, I thought he was ridiculous looking with his like goofy anime hair, his like half mullet. And his like vest jacket and everything. I couldn't, I just, I hated him. He was too anime for you. Yeah, I hated him. And I thought he was really boring as a character until like the last half hour. I thought everything about it, it has this, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it has this conceit where the main characters don't talk to each other ever, Mm -hmm. which was kind of cool at first. But I mean, it really started to weigh on it after a while. I felt like, I felt like it, it was a hurdle that um, that dragged it down more than it, it, it made it unique. You know what I mean? 
The way that you describe the the third act, it seems like you appreciated his arc at least, which I think is one of my favorite arcs in any film. The character is more or less interesting. I think another movie could do a lot with him, but um, all the sort of stylistic decisions in the movie itself, I would have gone in a totally different direction with. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't like the the golf motif through everything. I thought that was just didn't really go anywhere. A lot of the like vignettes. The whole premise is that there's a guy who uh, breaks into people's empty houses and just sort of lives their life for a day while they're gone. Just a really good idea. But um, like all the vignettes you get of when the people come back, I thought were all kind of really broad. I don't know. I didn't feel like I, I got anything from any of the characters at all. And it started to pick up in the third act. In I, I don't want to spoil it, but when he when the lead character changes locations, mm-hmm. I'll say then it got interesting, and then that ended up lasting maybe ten minutes, and it was over. It's a very short movie. Like I don't even think it was ninety minutes, but it felt like two and a half hours to me. It's yeah, it's around eighty minutes. And uh, I, how did you feel about the resolution? Because I I I adore that. Like I feel like if that was a uh, maybe if it was like a thirty minute episode of something, you probably would have dug it. Because I really do dig where everything ends up. Yeah, I definitely think it would have been a great 20-minute short. I think it was a, it was 20 minutes of content stretched over 80 minutes. Yeah, see, I appreciated the journey so much that that 20 minutes of content, like I was just, I was gripped for the entire 80 minutes. Yeah, it, didn't, it just didn't work for me. I didn't click with the lead at all. And the lead woman, I, I was kind of more interested in, but... Also didn't super click with her either. How do you feel about other Kim Ki Duck films? Have you seen any others? I like um, Spring, Winter, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He has one other one that I really like that everybody knows, but I just dropped the name of now. Yeah, Spring, Summer. That's uh, I like that more than Three Iron, but both of those are two of my favorite films for sure. Just the vibe of that and uh, the vibe of Spring, that, Summer. The Isle. That's the other one. I the like Isle, that. right. And I have Samaritan Girl sitting on my shelf, but I haven't watched it yet. It's, that one's not too good. The one yeah. I really like, which is kind of a deep cut of his, which shouldn't be because I think it's it's some of his best work, is this film Breath, which is, uh, not to give anything away, but it's about a, a woman who takes up a relationship with a guy who's in prison and like she comes to visit him and like they just sort of build this relationship together. And it's it's a really, really dark, twisted, heavy film with some romance in it throughout and uh I think that one should have been one of his big ones, but I think it just, it was during that period where he was coming out with one like every single year. So people just lumped them all together and they, I think they missed that one, unfortunately. I would keep going with him. I mean, I like his stuff a lot. This one just, it felt, um, it felt like he didn't know how to fill the time exactly. Like there was stuff that was really interesting that would fall by the wayside. Like in the first act, you have the beginning of this sort of cat and mouse thing with the three leads and um, it's just resolved in like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it it wanders, which sometimes I can like, but I liked where it was more than it, where it wandered to. Yeah, uh, I guess it's just you, you get into the, the rhythm of it and like you're just hypnotized by it or you're not. Like I was just, uh, every time I watch that, I just get right into it. I just yeah, all the, reviews, all the reviews I was saying were talking about how like, they couldn't take their eyes off it or anything. I wonder if maybe if I saw it in a theater, I would like it more. But hmm. I mean, it just felt like um, it, it felt like a lot of gloss to get something that 
is simple and could have been a really nice short to feature length. And I really can't stress enough, I did not like that dude at all. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was, um, he's so broad and... um, And anime. Yeah, well, ridiculous looking to begin with, but just as, as a performance, I thought it was really broad and shallow, you know? I feel like, now, so I haven't watched a lot of Korean movies, actually, but Korean television can be kind of like that. But I wonder if that's just sort of like, it's maybe like an, an aesthetic, you know, like that sort of, there is a sort of overly saccharine drama, like, you know, super dramatic, like dripping with drama, kind of like, you know, like the slow head turn. If anything, this is like this movie is the, the polar opposite of that. Oh, okay. It's like, <laughs> more like it's like it, literally it's, nothing. Okay. This is like watching like a 14 year old try to be Alain Delon. It's also like a it almost has a vibe of like a Korean mammoth film if mammoth like took all the dialogue out of his film. Oh, well, maybe I'll watch it then. Sounds good. <laughs> like it's 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 that adherent to his whole um acting aesthetic of like, all right, just read the lines wrote. And just stand there and just do what you're doing. Like, don't don't have any motivation, don't, no method, no this, that, and the other. Just do what you're doing. Like, it's that kind of like House of Games kind of, a, you know, mammoth kind of vibe. Yeah, I mean, it feels a little bit like he's playing in the style of like Bresson or like um, Melville, you know. Right. With that sort of unaffected minimalism. But it just, for some reason, this one, it just didn't click with me at all. So if it had a better actor, you think you would have liked it? No. I would have liked it more, but I really think this the story was not enough for a feature. And you could probably get it there, but it would take probably a total rewrite. And you could get it there probably without even losing the um, quietness of it. You just have to make the events more, uh, maybe even just reordered. Yeah, and I think the arc would remain, which I, like yeah. I said, I adore that that character arc for him. And, uh, you know, that arc would definitely still be there, even if it was a short yeah, I think you could cut, you could take exactly what's there and cut it down to 20 minutes and you would have a, a great movie. Right on. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. See you soon. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Okay, there's nothing that I find interesting out right now besides the visit, which I already talked about. So, I'm going to play a little game. found an order card in my theater last night. For a movie that looks, eh, okay. I'm gonna read what they were saying about the movie, and then maybe you can guess what movie it's from. Okay, it says, Probably never eating chicken nuggets again. Not that I ever would've eaten that one. It also says, Is this the first thing that dude's been in since Lost? Okay, I'm gonna give you a few seconds. Drum roll, please. All right, the movie that they were talking about while they were passing notes was Cooties starring Elijah Wood. It's a movie where he plays a teacher and the students are all zombies. The actor that was in question was the guy from Lost. He is uh, the guy who plays Hurley. Might see it because of that guy. Maybe it's better than I think it is. Not too interested in it, though. Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. And we are back. You guys uh, guys, uh, see anything good or anything? I saw a fantastic softcore gay porn. (laughs) All right. What channel was that on? This was in an anthology film archives. All right. 
in uh, the East Village in New York City. Our favorite theater, as we picked on, I think, episode two of uh, Smug Film or something. I don't know. They were doing a, a great little series that I don't know. Is, I think they're done with it now. But um, it was a series of movies where, that have directors that only made one film ever. And this this film is called Pink Narcissus. Has been on my list for uh, a couple of years because it's, uh, you know, I wanted to see it in theaters. I think you can maybe like also kind of find it bootleg. But it I heard about it being restored and, and released a couple of years ago and I just missed it. And so I Googled it. And it's beautiful. And I like anyone. It's actually kind of safe for work to Google. Yeah. If you look it up, I mean, it's the images from it are extraordinary. It has that kind of like, you know, very bright, like um, Tears of the Black Tiger, that uh, that film that came out like yeah. a couple of years ago, that kind of vibe. To Except the look. even it more. It's like Kenneth Anger to me. Yeah. Very Kenneth Anger. It's like Black Tiger on like crack at plus penises or something. <laughs> Well, so this director, James Bidgood, who's actually there for Q&A. So the, the sort of story behind this this movie was that he had been shooting it for... He's a photographer. And he makes... The, what's great about this movie is every single set, it was made in his um, apartment over the course of years. It took him seven years to shoot. And it's only like 70 minutes. Though apparently he had like hours and hours that they like just threw... Like they threw on the cutting room floor. And then he threw out later in life because he was so angry that basically these his producers just took the movie from him after seven years and were like, we're making a goddamn movie because he just wouldn't cut it. Mm. And so um, he apparently just got so just distraught about this to, to begin with and then got upset uh, and threw out all the extra footage, which is one of those like, you know, number one, it's a portrait of, of like, I think most artists, <laughs> you know, just completely self-destructive in that way. And then number two, it makes you wonder like how many people are out there in this world right now that are making movies as beautiful as this or making anything that's like fantastic right. that they like are just getting upset at and throwing out. And I think that every day of my life, I'm haunted by that thought. <laughs> exactly. That's a big part of why I keep trying to dig up weird movies. Oh yeah. Well, this movie, I mean, this movie, I have to say, honestly, I, I really loved it. And it's the best softcore gay porn I ever saw because it's just so visually beautiful. There's no, it's actually, there's no talking in it. There's no dialogue. It's this guy sort of lounging around. Uh, it kind of uh, goes through his like sort of fantasy and through uh, maybe reality. There's not a, a really strong plot because of the fact that they kind of just like, the, whoever stitched it together was like, let's just do whatever we can with this sort of. And so it's there's really not much to go on. It really is just like a guy lounging around and then he sort of gets, you know, maybe there's different rooms and, and sort of stuff like that. But this movie, I mean, it's so strikingly beautiful. Every single shot, every single shot. And then it's also hilarious. It's really funny. Like there's like genuine points where like, you know, like he's like lounging around in his beautiful pink like bedroom and like someone rings this door and there's no door. It's like, you know, also like it's this very minimal sort of set because a guy built it in his apartment. Yeah, the budget on this, it says there's 27,000. Uh, yeah, but it he I, he put everything together with like, you know, the, so James Bidgood, his photography, he does the same exact thing is that he'll sit there and make these sets like and he makes them out of like old costume parts and mm. like, you know, and he'll sit there and, and like just craft stuff for like a year and get like one photo out of it and then just destroy it and move on because it's a, his apartment. He was saying that like his, for a while he was sleeping in his bed with a, a like a, a mannequin because hmm. he didn't have anywhere else to put it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible that he got that 
that beautiful imagery for such a low budget. Yeah, well, so like the, the sort of one of the, the funny parts that I remember is, is just like this guy ringing the doorbell and this guy is in this like skin tight. He looks like um, a bellhop and he has just this massive like raging hard on like <laughs> but that is so clear under this like, you know, spandex pants he's wearing. And it's hilarious. It's funny. Like it, and it, there's nothing about this movie that it's like super serious. It's like this guy who's like, you know, he's he's a nar- narcissist. You know, he, he sits around and he masturbates a lot. And he kind of likes to look at himself in a mirror and he likes to, you know, story of my life. (laughs) And he likes, uh, you know, seducing men. And there's only one scene in this movie I thought was sort of like, like get on with it already, which was this guy. um, It was a sort of like fake Arabic, like fantasy uh, scene where this one dude is dancing. He's mostly completely naked, but covered in, in um, pearl necklaces. Ha ha. Very obvious. Mm Hmm. And then he has this also massive heart on and he's just like kind of like he's dancing and he's just kind of wiggling it like that's all he's doing. And but and it goes on for like a little too long. And and it's and then there's like a sort of superimposed. How long is a little too long for that for you? Like five minutes, oh, you Jesus. know, for a 70 minute movie, you know, like it, it, there's like a it goes on for like a while. And then there's this hand that's like looks like it's sort of like, um you know, rubbing these like uh, these strings of pearls that look very phallic. On like on the side as this guy is just like, you know, just wagging his dick around for like a little too long. But for the most part, I don't know. I mean, like, I, you know, I don't think that this movie, it's, it's, it almost fails as softcore porn because it's like not really, it's not even like, uh, you know, the type of thing where you're like, uh, I mean, I guess you could, you know, beat off to it or whatever. But <laughs> like it was easy to watch and, and also not be aroused, but also just visually very aroused. So you would recommend it to straight men who you know, wouldn't normally watch a, a gay porn. Definitely. Yeah. De- if you if you want to see one gay porn, this is the <laughs> one. You know, it has... Actually, Did you ever see the Jean Genet one, though? No. Because I got sucked into this web once. <laughs> of gay porn? Yeah, <laughs> artful gay porn. <laughs> Tell me more. Jeanette, uh, he did one called, uh, in the 50s, called, um, I think, Love Song or A Song of Love or something. And it's in a French prison. <laughs> It's like a short and it's um, pretty much just prison guards like watching dudes pound off in their cells and drill little holes through the walls to blow cigarette smoke at each other. It's quite beautifully made, I have to say. Right on. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know what? That sounds great. High contrast, black and white, real, real sultry. Uh, I wasn't picking up what it was putting down, but <laughs> <laughs> really beautifully made film. This movie actually, Pink Narcissus, I think actually almost has the same appeal that Cemetery Man did for me. Just in that, the fact that I love that handmade look of special effects. Yeah. You know, I really like when I can tell where like something that initially you see, it looks beautiful. And then the more you look at it, you're like, is that just paper? You know, (laughs) like, yeah. And you're like, oh, holy shit. You know, like, it's just so well done. And it has a good ending where it's sort of like the screen cracks kind of like the end of performance, like Nicholas Rogue. And then uh, it turns into a spider web and it just pulls out and it's That's in this cool. beautiful Spark. jungle. It's a it's beautiful movie. It's it, I'm telling you. Right on. Pink Narcissus. And oh, James right. Bidgood, the director, <laughs> he was like, ah, I'm kind of sick. Pulls out this can of Lysol, sprays it, and then just huffs it. And the whole audience was just like polite applause. <laughs> <laughs> so he was yeah. great too. Nice. All right. I so, recently watched. Yeah. What did you a, watch? Similar. A similar film, actually. A gay porn or no? Pretty damn close is the thing. <laughs> I realized I had never seen Interview with the Vampire, 
not on TV in like 1995. Mm. Yo. So I figured I'd give it a whirl. First of all, really, really, really good. Like, I can't believe how, how well that movie holds up. Second of all, I'm blown away that there was a time in film history, or maybe I'm more blown away that this time is gone, but I'm blown away that there was a moment in time when the major studios basically funded Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Antonio Banderas as Byronic gay lovers. I fund it. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, I can't figure out if I'm more surprised they did that or that they don't continue to do that. That's a narrow window, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I almost want to say Twilight has that appeal, but it actually doesn't. No. No. Twilight's very Christian and straight. This is straight up like there's scenes where um, Brad Pitt is like sucking on Tom Cruise's neck (laughs) and like they're like nuzzling. Like it, 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 and it's. Apparently, I was reading up on it, and in one of the drafts of the screenplay, Anne Rice tried to change Pitt's character to a woman because they thought they would never make it with a man, because it's very clearly, like, they even have a daughter. Like, it's very clearly that they're a couple, but they just went with it. And nice. it's actually really interesting. It gives it sort of a, a um, an edge that a lot of the other vampire stuff doesn't have, because you have... Um, as well as all the... Like, I think it makes you feel more like what the Victorians would have felt watching Dracula. Hmm. We're like, yeah. you're a little shocked to be seeing what you're seeing. And also a handmade quality for sure, too, right? In what way? The, you know, the sets and the effects and all of that. I don't know. They were pretty, pretty sprawling. They looked like the um, Coppola Dracula. It was beautifully shot. These huge sprawling... Oh, I was... Sorry, I, I got it mixed up with that one, actually. Yeah, no. This was um, this was the one with Christian Slater, who I always get compared to, so I'm always happy to see him in movies. He's interviewing Brad Pitt. Right. Shit. And yeah, Brad I got Pitt's I got those like, two yeah. confused. Yeah, and this is all in like the Louisiana Bayou, and then in like France, which both locations are beautifully shot. Yeah, it was very elegant. Um, it's long, but it moved really fast. Like a lot happens. I came out of it wanting to read the Anne Rice vampire novels, which I never thought would be a state that I would be in in my life. But like I finished and I was like, well, I kind of want to know what happens now. So then I went to HBO Go to try to watch the sequel, Queen of the Damned. Literally made it halfway through the first scene before I shut it off. Yeah, that's with Aaliyah, right? Yeah. That was her last role, I think. Yeah. That's the one where Tom Cruise's character comes back from the grave and starts uh, starts a metal band based around him being a vampire. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Couldn't do it. I think I'm going to pick up where you left off on that <laughs> yeah. one. You haven't seen Take that? No. Oh, man. I see. I, I Interview with the Vampire, I think I also have only seen on television in parts, and so now you're making me want to rewatch it. You but know what's great of the Damned, it? I remember renting in the 90s on VHS. What's really great about it is the, uh, the score. It has, I don't know if either of you have seen Alien 3 recently, but it's the same composer the next year. So he's kind of elaborating on that, like, sort of late medieval dirge score that he was doing for Alien 3. He's really beautiful, hmm. very elegant, and very um, very lush. So I'm looking up he- now, two years after Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Re- really interesting pocket in the 90s, actually. 92 to 94 with that. Yeah, I don't think you can get a movie this lush off the ground anymore. And it's a great approach for the vampire stuff, because it really gives it this... Um, gaudiness that complements the characters i think and Mm. young kirsten dunst is i mean she should have gotten an oscar for it she's terrifying in it and it's one of those performances that's so good that you're like a little afraid for the actress right yeah that was uh my reaction to dakota fanning a lot during like her first couple 
like yeah. roles. Like you're just like, all right, well, this person's too good. And this person's <laughs> going through some emotional shit in this film. And I don't know what's going on, but I'm worried for this person. Yeah. Yeah. You get that vibe a lot in this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on Netflix. It's one of those movies that I think weirdly became like a punchline, but I don't think it deserves that status at all. I really, I really dug it. That's just homophobia. I, I think it's more people find that, um, overstuffed early to mid nineties thing goofy now, but it always was kind of goofy. That's part of what, um, worked about it. I think. Right. Let me ask you a question. How did you feel about Dracula 2000? Yo, I was all about Dracula 2000. Me too, man. In the high 2000s. I fucking loved that movie when I saw it. The, uh, the one that hit my limit was Dracula 3000. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw in theaters. But Dracula 2000 was awesome. And the weirdest thing about Dracula 2000, I'll bet you're going to have the same thing I do. Imagine the trailer for it in your head right now, right? Mm -hmm. Just try to conjure up what the trailer was like. Is Rob Zombie playing? <laughs> of course. He's not in the trailer. Really? For 10 years, I, I imagine that trailer and I picture it very well where they're on the spaceship and, and there's the deep voice 90s narrator guy and, you know, you see them start to get picked off. And in my head, it was always Rob Zombie in the background. Oh, for sure. But it's, I spent weeks researching this once because I couldn't believe it. He's just not, it's not Rob Zombie. There was a it's great like an orchestral thing. There was a great like towards 2000 and then maybe a tiny bit afterwards, like 1999, 2000, and then like a touch after where um, like there were a lot of movies where the poster was just like a lot of black and then like redness kind of moving around and like white titles like Resident Evil had that going yeah. on, Dracula 2000, End of Days, etc. End of Days, man. I have a lot of complicated feelings about End of Days. Yeah, you've spoken, uh, spoken about your kind of love-hate with End of Days. The movie that reunited Guns N' Roses. I want to take all those movies and just put them in a stack of just like blackness and then red swirling and then white titles. Well, you should have seen my father's VHS shelf in like 2003 <laughs> and you would have just been able to do it. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to close it out. Any uh, final thoughts for our listeners? Last Summer and Pink Narcissus. Right on. Do it. Do it up. John, you reading yeah. anything? Yeah, I just finished this book this morning called um, Etta, Otto, and then two other names. And it's about this lady who's like 80 and she walks across Canada to go see the ocean. It caught me a little bit. I was flipping through it at the library and like the first 10 pages caught me. And then it, it, it got worse. I'm looking so it up right now. It's, it's very new. I think it came out this year. I don't really recommend Etta, Otto, and um, Russell and Jack, I think it's called. Russell and James. Etta and Otto Russell and Russell and James. And James. Yeah. Mary, Marcy, Marlene. That was yeah. a good movie. The, the woman who wrote I didn't it like is that really one. trying to get really? the... Um, no. She's really trying to hit the, the All the Light We Cannot See vibe which was the book that won the Pulitzer last year, hmm. which was also cutting back and forth between present day and World War II, and it had a very similar writing style, but she's young. I think she's just not a good enough writer yet. Maybe she will be, but eh, one didn't, didn't impress me too much. All yeah. right, maybe we'll have her on <laughs> defend her book on our movie podcast. Yeah, we'll throw it out. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>